Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome back to a Celtic State of Mind. I'm Paul John Dykes, and today I am delighted to be joined not only by Lawrence Conley, but also Ian Conroy. And hopefully at some point later on in the show, we will also invite Liam Carrigan in from Japan uh, to give us his take on all things Celtic. First of all, Ian Conroy has a, gives a wee look at that T-shirt there. We've got a really cool Oreo Records T-shirt. That is your record label, isn't it? It is, yeah. And I remember a wee while ago uh, seeing them popping up in a really cool jersey popping up and uh, some of the kind of trendier, trendier members of the musical fraternity, such as Mr. Tim Burgess. Uh, I think Manny's got one and various other people as well, Ian. Yeah, um, there's a few. Apparently, there's a couple of people I haven't seen. Apparently, Paul Weller's got one and Martin Freeman as well. Through a mate of mine down in London, Dino. Uh, there's a few people... Liam and Noel have got some. I don't know if they've ever worn them. Um, a guerrilla marketing campaign, you know, Mr. Bobby Bluebell. Uh, yeah, loads of people. That's fantastic. Yeah, um, it would be great to see the Gallaghers uh, wearing them as well. Liam Carrigan, as I say, is dialing in from Japan. Here he is. And, oh, look at that. Like clockwork, he is wearing the green lantern top today, as promised. Liam, welcome <laughs> to the show. How are you? Good. Um, I shall begin by reciting the Green Lantern Oath. In brightest day, in blackest night. Never forget, the Rangers are fundamentally lacking in a number of areas on and off the pitch. Anyway. <clears throat> Absolutely. And of course today, uh, starting off with that, it is Halloween today, isn't it? And tonight mm. to celebrate, um, Axom are doing a live event at Don Max. It's sold out and we have three guests. It's Pierre Van Hoydonk, George Cadet, and we did have Andy Tom. Unfortunately, he can't make it for um, reasons beyond our control. 
Uh, but John Collins has stepped up Lawrence Conley, a classy, classy player for Celtic, Mr. John Collins. Indeed. Yeah, I think when he, what, when he signed for Celtic, I think he, he wanted to sign a 10-year contract. Billy McNeil had to talk him out of it. <laughs> Look, you need to calm down. And he could have went to uh, the original Rangers and apparently they were offering him more money at the time. But uh, obviously he chose to go where he's heartly. Uh, and talking of the original Rangers, it's not just Halloween. It's also anniversary of liquidation today. A day that I'm sure we all pause for and reflect on, thank goodness our club never ended up there. But oh, yeah, Jay-Z, scored three yep. kicks. I believe you used to wear Preds and scored three kicks as well. I did, Lawrence. You shared videos of it. I don't like to talk about it, though. I don't like to talk about it. Uh, John Collins, he's writing what he says, Ian, uh, Lawrence, because I do remember, and I've read back on some of the old archive newspapers fairly recently, he actually was pushing Billy McNeil for a 10-year contract, John Collins, and there was like a last-minute offer from said Rangers Football Club uh, and they were giving him an offer of three or four times his wages but he stuck with it he came to Celtic and it was in a really poor period in the club's history of course and then we started getting a wee sprinkling of success and of course he he flees the nest does John Collins um, but he's one of the guys that seems to I don't know history hasn't been too kind to him Ian, but when you think about John Collins the player he was phenomenal back in the day he was brilliant Um I th- was it not his dad was a, was a, was a Celtic fan, um, and that was what that, that was what swayed him. It was was Collins a Celtic fan as well? I don't know. Um, I know Collins spent a bit of time with the boys' club uh, prior to going to Hibs, okay. um, and I don't know if it was maybe. Uh, I think he's always struck me as being a type of guy. He's maximised his career and his ability, Ian, through sheer graft. You know, uh, the fitness, the diet, the tempo. <laughs> and all that stuff. Um, so when the, the offer finally came round, after being rejected as a kid, I just think he was he was looking to embrace it. Yeah. I saw him. I was at the BP uh, on the M77 a, year, a few years ago. Must have been about well, 15 years ago now. And he must be a good 10 years older than me, at least. And he looked about 20 years younger than me. <laughs> I'd had a few, a few sherbets the night before, right enough. But I tell you what, he just looked like in the peak of physical fitness, you know, just look and like, you know, some people that when they're really healthy, they've got that sparkle about them. Mm-hmm. He just mm-hmm. looked, I think he was, I think he was assistant manager of Celtic at the time. Right. Um, but he still looked fit as a fiddle, you know, um, and he did as well. I, th- I think he was kind of, he went, in, you know, a lot of players go abroad, like he went to Monaco and he came back with all these kind of, but I think he was doing, he, he had that kind of attitude and that, that approach to, to his, his fitness and um, his discipline even before he went abroad anyway, you know, I don't think he, he had to learn too much perhaps. Um, and obviously going to Fulham and Everton as, as well, but I thought he was a good... And you think as well, we had we had McStay, what, do you think he maybe sort of took a bit of pressure off McStay's shoulders because it was sort of barren times and when he signed for the club? No doubt about and, it for me, Ian. No yeah. doubt about that for me. I think okay. uh, there was maybe one or two seasons actually where Collins overshadowed, uh, sorry, outshone uh, Paul McStay in the Celtic midfield. There was a, a, a team group that popped up on my Facebook just the other day there. I think it was Andy Payton that posted it. And it was that kind of, uh, you know, early 90s era. Liam Brady was the manager. And I was looking at it. And if I was to pick an 11 from the team group, it was actually quite a tricky task, right? So your two goalies were like Pat Bonner and Gordon Marshall. Then you're looking at your fullbacks, Rudy Vata, um, Darius Dovchek, Tommy Boyd, maybe Mike Galloway, he was a bit adaptable. And then you're looking at your midfield, and it was guys like at that time John Collins, Paul McStay, Peter Grant, okay. um, and you also had 
Stuart Slater, who could play on the right-hand side or up top. And honestly, when you're looking at the team group, guys, if you were to pick an 11, you'd have picked Liam Brady, Joe Jordan and Neely Mockin before you picked some of the guys who were actually sitting there in the green and white hoops. Um, tough times, tough times. And they definitely did outshine the maestro for a season or two. Let us know your thoughts in the comment section. I know that some people, for some reason, don't particularly take a shine to John Collins. I'm looking forward to meeting him tonight. Liam, I know you are of a similar vintage as myself. Is he a player that you've got good memories of, a good affection of, John Collins? Yeah, I mean, he was a, he was a phenomenal... Um, you know, he was doing the, the, the predator free kicks, um, you know, a good 15 years before David Beckham made it fashionable, you know. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, phenomenal player. Um, and like you say, at a time when Celtic were lacking in a lot of areas, he was one of the few bright sparks. And it was kind of the the sort of the ray of light at the end of the tunnel was if we could have a team of players like John Collins, we might have a chance of winning this league. And finally, in 1998, we kind of did. So, yeah, that was, you know, that that was how it went. And um, I remember, actually, I met John Collins when he was manager at Livingston. Um, Oh, I forgot he was there, actually. This was, oh, God, I'm going back about maybe 15, 20 years here, but... um, it was a, a corporate event with my, my dad's company at the time. And I remember he, he was giving us the, the pre-match sort of a tour of the, the the dressing rooms and all that. And he had all these inspirational quotes up on all the walls. <laughs> and it was a re- and I actually asked him about it. I said, well, where does that come from? He's like, oh, no, I just think it's good for the players to come in. The first thing they see is like a positive message. And I thought, Do you know what? That that's Looking back on it, that was way ahead of its time, being aware of it. Like, players mental health at a time you know in the mid 2000s when it wasn't even really being discussed mm-hmm, mm-hmm. when you told me there that you he took you into the dressing room i thought he was going to take his top off liam um going <laughs> back to day one at Hibs when he was the manager there as well remember uh, the story he would take his top off and say to the guys this is what a professional footballer should look like uh, but in saying that pally mine ended up going to celtic as a as a kid And he once shared the room with John Collins and at every opportunity, apparently, he was doing press-ups and sit-ups. He was a real fitness fanatic. We are going to be talking uh, about the here and now today, though, and uh, moving into the transfer window in January. Lawrence, I'm going to come to you first. There's been a lot spoken about following a disappointing draw against Hibs at Easter Road um, with regards to a lack of depth or a lack of quality on the bench. What's your take on this, uh, Lawrence? And do you think the next transfer window is going to be slightly different from the summer one? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, Brendan will have had more time to decide, to evaluate the players, to look them in real time. He's going to know who he wants to keep, who's moving on. You know, guys like David Turnbull in the last six months. So, yeah, you know, unfortunately, Rio's injury. So, so Brendan will know what's needed there. You know, and I saw a few people back in Mikey Johnson. <coughs> It'd be great if he could get back to form. So we've also got to keep a, a look at where we're weak for Europe next season in terms of the four-club trend four, and four-league trend. And I don't think he'd done too bad when he came on. You know, he's skinned his, his office a number a few times. He's doing well internationally. So, yeah, I think the transfer window will, will definitely be a bit different. I think Brendan will perhaps not be looking at as many projects this time and maybe be two or three players just to improve the starting 11. Mm-hmm. But, uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, well, that's what I'm hoping for anyway. Uh, but, yeah, well, you know, listen, 
we're, we're 10 minutes in and you brought Mikey Johnson up once. So we're going to have to speak about MJ. Um, anybody in the comments who, who don't want to hear it, blame Lawrence. Ian, um, Lawrence has brought it up and he's quite right. You know, I thought he came in for loads of criticism, some unjust. Just I thought Brendan Rodgers' comments were really balanced after the game. It was his first game for Celtic in 19 months, first competitive game. But as Lawrence quite rightly says, he's been playing well. Um, albeit against kind of some of the lesser nations for for Ireland, but you can only play what you're up against. Um, I'm surprised he's still at the club, but Ian, I really am. I'm surprised he's still here. I, I made a joke about it, you know, for the last three seasons, uh, we've spoken about this is a last chance saloon. I was pretty surprised that he was uh, brought into the action when you consider that, you know, we brought into the club three wingers um, after the departure of Jota, only one of them seen any game time at the weekend. And I think this is what the concern is. You know, we've brought in this influx of players, but we're, we're going back to the tried and tested players um, of a few seasons ago, like Tony Ralston, James A. Forrest and Mikey Johnson. Um, do you buy into that, Ian, or do you think it's a bit of a lazy narrative? When it comes to um, Mikey Johnson, I think uh, it's, it's difficult. He's got away, he's done okay, hasn't he? I think it's difficult to come in and have the odd quarter of an hour, 20 minutes, to yeah. come and try and impress but there's been a there's been a precedence set most recently with uh, with um, your man, you know, or handsome Madonna's from 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 Ireland, you know, um, and it's it's uh, you know he's been a revelation. But Ralston had a similar renaissance, you know. It looked like he was out the door. He he, he kind of struggled. Um, I th- I don't know whether Kieran Tierney was that kind of beacon, shining beacon that that people. Um, Aspire, aspire to be like, you know, because he, he was, I don't even know, if he, I think the stories of Tierney was like, kind of, he was like second or third choice in the in the youth team at one point, and he, mm-hmm. he, he, he knuckled down, worked worked really hard, really hard, and became, I suppose, the best version of himself he could he could ever be. So Michael Johnson, he has an opportunity, perhaps, but is it, is it long enough? Is it, is, it, is it enough time at a club like Celtic to actually break in and, and, and do it? I don't know. Um, is the die already cast? I don't know. I, don't, I, I, th- I like I like Brendan Rogers coming out of the press today saying that you know it's quality over quantities after again. You know, so if that's the case, then it would it perhaps would mean someone like Mikey Johnson is, is going to move on. You know, whether it's on, on loan again or whether it's a, it's um, a permanent move. But uh, yeah, it's I, I, in some ways I, I want the boy to have a chance because I, I was a Greg Taylor was interviewed and said that you know he's in training he's one on one he's there's, there's nobody better you know and he's he's got he's got he's got the skills and all that kind of stuff but to transfer that to the pitch and playing for a big club like Celtic where you've got to win every game um it's a difficult it's a difficult challenge you know and there's, there's there's better players than him that have, that have failed at Celtic because of that pressure mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. so. Yeah, whether whether it's time to move on, I don't know. But um, I, I'm keen to see a fresh injection of, of quality, as per Brendan, rather than um, unless unless Michael Johnson can prove it really, really quickly and 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 do do what the other two have done. He would really need to grasp it, and I think you know, and I think I've probably said this a few times. The time is now, um, if he's ever going to do it. Liam, the, the quality over quantity thing—we've been banging the drum for long enough, haven't we? And um, I remember when Ange Postecoglou, different circumstances, of course, he comes in. Every uh, player virtually had to really make an impact, didn't he, at that point mm-hmm. in that first transfer window? Brendan Rodgers' first transfer. Uh, window was uh, a bit of an anticlimax, wasn't it? Really, um, I mean, we've got one player who is playing consistently. 
um, in in the side that, that was brought in. The rest of them look as though they're going to need some developing. And in the meantime, he's going back to, as I say, the tried and the tested players. I know he likes Forrest. Forrest will appear throughout the season. There'll, there'll be some starts, but mainly from the bench. Uh, David Turnbull, I'm not sure that Brennan Rodgers is sold on him, to be fair, because um, remember his comments, Liam, after the, the game against Ross County where he's won man of the match, he scored a goal, and Rodgers was pretty non-committal about David Turnbull. It's not as though he was uh, singing his praises. Um, yeah. And then, of course, Mikey Johnson, as Ian says there, he seems to have everything in his locker, but there's that wee final bit. If you want to step your game up and be that consistent player in the start of 11 that he seems to lack, and at 24, if he hasn't sorted that out and fine-tuned it by now, it doesn't look as though he ever is, is he? No. Um, what I'm about to say here is a bit harsh, and I mean no disrespect to any listeners from Ireland or Scotland, right? But Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favourite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. There's a reason why the majority of our players now are not homegrown. And it's because countries like Japan, countries like the US, countries like England, Joe Hart, they consistently qualify and perform well at World Cups. Um, Ireland and Scotland don't, which is why you've got players like Turnbull and Johnson, who I think would be would go into their national teams and do very, very well. Mikey Johnson has, and I'm sure David Turnbull would. But does that make them good enough for Celtic? I would argue no. Um, that's the unfortunate reality of it. Celtic want to be a club that can compete in the Champions League, mm-hmm. and you're not going to get there even if players are established internationals, if they're established internationals at teams that never get to an international tournament or very rarely do, that's not the standard that you need, unfortunately. Um, and I know it's a bit like apples and oranges comparing uh, you know, international football to, to club football, but there is that, there's that base level standard. And like I say, you know, Japan's a bit of an untapped market. Korea is also a bit of an untapped market. But those are those are two countries you always see at the World Cup in modern times. Yeah, and that's why because there's that quality there, and we have tapped into that quality. And yeah, I mean there is the homegrown player rule, but I, unfortunately, unless there's a fundamental change in how Scottish football is governed, and we'll probably come on to that later on, um, it's going to get to a point where the Scottish players are going to be back numbers who are just there as part of a quota because. If you want Champions League level quality, outside of you know <laughs> Andy Robertson's and Scott McTominay's that you know Celtic could never afford, um, you're not going to find it in Scotland, unfortunately, and you very rarely find it in Ireland these days as well, which is a shame because Ireland used to have a fantastic international team. There was a golden age, wasn't there? There really was. Um, I mean, I, I've spoken about this before in, in terms of getting into the Irish team. 
Um, I got into Ireland when Jack Talton was in charge. I mean, the, the brand of football wasn't the best, but then there was a whole generation of players after that that came through and they were consistently qualifying. But I take your point, Liam, just because they're doing it at an international level, you're right. I mean, I'm saying against lesser opposition. Who is the lesser opposition here? Um, is it actually us? I mean, I know Stevie Clark's doing extremely well um, and I think he's doing a fantastic job with Scotland. Um, he seems to have embedded a club mentality into an international team, which if a manager can do that, um, they, they tend to do pretty well. Uh, I always use Terry Venables as the example of that as well. Um, there's been loads spoken about, surprisingly enough, about the uh, officialdom of Scottish football. And it just so happens that I'm coming to the Celebrity Square bottom right, Lawrence Conley, when I'm talking about referees. And tonight, I'm actually going to be speaking, of course, to George Cadet. Um, hair like spaghetti, uh, cadetti. And, you know, the question will be raised around his registration, of course, that was somehow delayed, deliberately delayed, resulting in the sacking of Jim Farry. And then that goal that never was, Lawrence, remember that one? Was it Jim McGinley that was a referee? New Year's Day game, 2-1 down, he scores the equaliser, perfectly good goal, Gordon Patrick plays him onside, and it's chopped off for some unknown reason. I'm going to be asking George Cadet, these questions, Lawrence, and um, the officials have been in the spotlight again after the weekend. What do you make of the old uh, playing until Rangers get a penalty rule? It's, well, it's definitely an old rule. <laughs> you know, it's, it's nothing new. But, you know, we're not shocked, but, you know, John Beaton and his interpretation of rules. Interpretation. You've been very careful with your words. Yeah, you know, the, the guy's got, you know, he's got a hard job. You know, when's a penalty, not a penalty? When's time up and when, when's it not? You know, I don't know what kind of timepiece he's using. It, it's got to be difficult, mate, to know, you know, when a, the time's elapsed. Uh, I don't know what kind of training he's went through to, to realise when two minutes has passed. I mean, I don't know if he judges it or he's got a watch or anything radical, but, you know, he obviously was unable to, to judge Two minutes was up, so we can only suppose that you know he struggles with that, you know. And unfortunately for him, uh, his team got a penalty. You know, you know. I think that's it, it was a penalty, wasn't it? The first one, anyway. Yeah, but uh, as far as George Cadetti, if he is considered, you've got to remember, there was two internal FA or SFA inquiries mm. that cleared Jim Farry. Yeah. And then when it came to open arbitration the SFA couldn't provide any evidence. So you've got to think, what evidence did they have behind closed doors that was enough to clear Jim Farry? And uh, that they couldn't provide an open court. And and also Farry uh, alleged that it wasn't just him. He alleged that involved and it was a certain Sandy Bryson whose name would come back to, to haunt us. And uh, although Farry got sacked, I think he got like £330,000 payoff. He did. He was well compensated. Got two hundred fifty thousand pound compensation. Mm-hmm. You, you know he got more money than Celtic got in compensation. It's you know mind-boggling at times, isn't it? It's, it's it always is. there's a bias in there. But that was a long time ago, and it doesn't seem to be getting much better. The, the one disappointing thing for me, Ian, at the weekend was uh, over the social media channels. I'm, I'm looking at. Uh, Jambos, who were going on, obviously very unhappy with the decisions and and uh, pointing a finger, just like we are, quite frankly, at the officials. But they always lump us in with it, don't they? 
I mean, these other teams think it's a Celtic and Rangers issue that we're getting that kind of treatment as well. But uh, as a Celtic supporter, I'm sorry, I don't see it. I don't recall ever getting four penalties awarded for us in a game in, the, in, the, in our history. I don't recall a manager of any any club at the other side of Glasgow um, having to say that if you play well enough, the referees don't matter. I don't recall a former player at Celtic saying in his autobiography um, when uh, playing against Celtic that when the ball went out, linesman said, our ball, Alec. Yep. Referring to Alex Ferguson in his autobiography. So, um, you know, it's not, it's not, it's not, uh, I think it's quite clear that it's not a Celtic and Rangers thing, you know, and I've, I've had the, the same thing, you know, it's like we're two, two cheeks of the same arse and all that thing. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. I think if suits are aboard, I think if our board really wanted to, you know, there's been a few kind of faint, faint utterings from our side in terms of our board sort of saying, you know, you know, calling things into question. But I think it quite suits them, you know, to have that. You know, it's it's better fiscally, it's better for the pocket to have Rangers not too far behind us. Um, you know, these things have gone on for a long, long time. I think in any other country, you know, would it be allowed? You know, you've got to declare what team you support, um, all that kind of stuff. So. I don't know. It's it goes much, much, much deeper than I'll ever know or, or ever care. You know, really. We we all it's it's so it's so entrenched that we just laugh about it. You know, it's the sad it's, thing about it. You're right. You know, yeah. it's we laugh about it. But if it was anywhere else, imagine that happened in England. It'd be absolutely out of the question that could happen. What happens, Ian, is there's a resignation almost. There's a resignation. Oh, that's just the way it is up here. Whereas yeah. what we should be doing is is questioning it and doing it strongly and really pushing for it. And then. When it starts to affect other teams like it did at the weekend, they've got to step up as well. You know, these people just can't wait for someone else to uh, to be bold. So yeah, we are bringing that into it. And uh, Barry O'Sullivan, I don't know if you're going guys in tonight, mate. You're wondering if there's anybody out there who's a, who knows a good face painter. But I'm not sure what you'll be dressing up as. Do people still go guys in these days? Is that is that died out? Is that a thing of the past? What's it like over in New Zealand and, and Japan? Is guys in still a thing? Yeah, yeah, my my yeah. children went out today. It's a bit more, it's le- less so uh, kind of, you know, like um, Vincent Price, more like kind of dressed up as pop stars and all kind of mad stuff. Oh, is know? it? Right, Getting, right. Yeah, the, Ameri- the American kind of influence is really big over here, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exploitation, yeah. you know, as, as, as me, the old, old elder statesman says to my children, they just don't get it, I'm, a gra- I'm, I'm, I'm just a dinosaur. <laughs> just a dinner. And what about yourself over in Japan? What's the kind of culture over there, Liam, when it comes to Halloween and guys? And oh, they, can... they they completely copy what they do in America. They go totally do over they? the top. With it. Aye. Mm. I mean, like you know, it's amazing how more re- how more receptive my students were yesterday when I taught five lessons dressed as Spider Man. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> do you have um... any photographic evidence of that, Liam? I'd love to see it. <laughs> <laughs> I do. You're never bloody seeing it. I can tell you that much. Probably worried about um... getting hit by a web, mate. <laughs> well, <laughs> let's not go into that one. <laughs> have you seen on t- have you seen on Twitter? I don't know about you. There's an adverts I'm getting. I don't know if anyone else is getting them. It's like someone has, has got. There's like a Spider Man glove. Yeah, right. Have you seen that? Yeah, I have seen that. Yeah. Isn't it incredible? How is it incredible that these things all of a sudden just enter your your social media 
you know, it's almost as if subliminal messages start entering there. Um, anyway, I'm not going to get all conspiratorial beyond Scottish referees, that is, uh, today. I want to talk a wee bit about um, the the setup, obviously, going into the next game on Wednesday night, tomorrow night. Uh, and I wonder tonight, actually, anybody in Glasgow who's coming to the gig, are you going to be dressed up on the night? I wonder if that's going to happen, because I was going home the other night there from the Martin O'Neill gig, and there was loads of people walking about, you know, covered in blood and everything, and... To be honest, it was a good opportunity for somebody who wanted to go and uh, do a bit of the damage. Jungle Lion, here we go. Projects are great, but first team starters are better. If we go into this transfer window, um, Liam, you know, in, in January, often you're not looking for the same kind of level of business that you're going to be doing in the summer. That, that's just a historical thing with regards to Celtic. Brendan Rodgers has said that he's done some good business in the past in January. Sometimes you get kind of shorter term Deals in January, loan signings, etc. I mean, what are we looking for when you go into January? Tell me what your your kind of shopping list includes, Liam. Right um, now, I'm going to I'm going to go on the assumption that the players currently in these positions who are not first team starters would be moving out. Right, so I think we need another goalkeeper to challenge Joe Hart. That's number one. Right, and we need a good goalkeeper who's you know, ideally at least five or six years younger than Joe Hart and can challenge him for that jersey. Mm-hmm. Um, we need uh, somebody to challenge Greg Taylor because Bernabe, I'm sorry, is not it. Um, right back, I think we're okay. Uh, Alistair Johnson is brilliant and Tony Ralston is a more than capable deputy. We've got enough centre-backs once everybody's fit. Uh, midfield, we, I would love to see us go out and sign a real kind of flair, sort of number 10 type, because Hatate is that when he's fit, but he's now going to be out probably till January. Um, so, and with hamstring injuries, that can be a recurring thing. So you need to be, you know, prepared for that. So I think we need another player to come in and challenge him. Um, you know, pre-season, I think the way the team was set up, it was clear that Brendan envisaged that maybe Haksabanovic could be that guy, and he just mm. wasn't. It mm-hmm. just didn't work, unfortunately. Um, you know, look, the games in Japan, he was playing very much the Hatate role, but he was, yeah. he was just anonymous. If it wasn't for his blonde hair, I wouldn't have realised who he was. Um, Precisely. <laughs> but, you know, so that's another area. And we need another striker, because Kyogo um, is doing brilliant. He's still adapting. Dyson is a capable deputy. As I say, I think when you see Japan play, Dyson actually looks more effective than Kyogo when playing centre-forward, which is a bizarre thing to say, but there you go. Um, But O, at the moment, is not cutting it. Now, that may change between now and January, I hope. I hope that he gets a run when he comes into the team or even comes on as a sub and scores four or five goals and he gets that kind of that kind of kick forward. I mean, I remember, I think it was Magic Juravsky, who went on to become a pretty decent contributor to Celtic in the time he yeah, was here. Yeah, good goal score. Um, but he went something like nine or ten games before he got his first goal. And, you know, that's the sort of situation that O is in now. He needs to go out in a league game, I don't know, against, you know, just for example, a St. Johnson or something, and just score a hat-trick. And that'll just that'll just kick-start him. That, that's what he needs. Um, but until that happens, yeah, another striker is definitely on the agenda. You know, when do you play him would be my question. Do you play him tomorrow night? Aye, why not? 
you know, because yeah. I always feel that I've always used this example when it comes to the young guys coming through. And the, the period of time that I think we really failed in that respect was during the nine in a row era. era. Um, obviously, complete domination, winning trebles. I just don't think, you know, season on season, what you should be doing is giving three or four of the younger guys coming through 20 to 25 appearances. I don't mean starts, but get the game time in their legs. There are clubs out there, clubs like Benfica, for example, and even Queen's Park now um, are working to a model where by the age of 21, they want you to have played between 100 and 150 first-team games of football. And if you look through the um, records over the last 20 years, how many Celtic players at that age have played that level of football? Not that many. So we talk about it on here all the time. You've got to give him game time, him game time. When does it happen? And I, I think a game like tomorrow night, by the way, I rate Rob Robinson. I think Robinson's a very good manager. And I think he's uh, respected by Brian and Rogers. He was talking about him yesterday, I think it was, in the press conference. Um, he's going to be very well um, you know, drilled when it comes to Celtic Park. But if you can't try something in a game like that, Lawrence, when do you do it? I mean, Kyogo, that's fine. It's just a rest. You know, if, it, if he's not to start, you could even play the two of them. Um, but O definitely needs games. I don't want to make a snap judgment on him. I agree with Liam. I said this yesterday. I agree with him on Burnaby. I agree with him on a few others like Segrist and, and Kobayashi. I, I'm, I'm at that point now. They've been at the club long enough. They've not made an impact. O has shown something. Just know this season. So when do you play him, Lawrence? You're muted, mate. We can't hear you. Sorry, moving to the back three in Europe, uh, you know, it could be a chance to start it from the off and play the two up front on Kyogo. He's, he's definitely going to need game time. I mean, I, I'd agree with, with Liam. I, th- I think we definitely need another striker, a keeper and a left back in January. But even if we sign another striker, he's going to need to get game time as well. You know, we, we, we need to find a way where they get minutes in their legs. We could, we could try the, the two up top. Uh, I think... It's a difficult balance for Brendan because he's going to, going to want to keep the gap until the break, isn't he? Mm-hmm. You know, he, he needs to get the three points on the board, but you'd want to see him get, get a bit of game time. And I think maybe, yeah, switch the three to back. And I don't think Phillips has got a future for us, but who, who knows, what, knows what Brendan's thinking is. It would also give him minutes switch, switching to three to back. So, uh, yeah, I hope we do start with three and see Owen Kyogo go from the start. Is that the boys? He looked okay when he came in, you know. And it's not really happened this season for him, but he's not had a lot of minutes. You know, he's been really short in minutes, and I think now he seems to be snatching at chances at times. You know, mm-hmm. trying to force it. So yeah, let's hope tomorrow he starts with Kyogo up front. We shall see. Um, Haxabanovic got mentioned earlier from Liam, and it made me wonder how is he getting on at Stoke City. I did speak about him to a Stoke radio channel at the time. And it was going to be a hit or a miss when it comes to him. I guess you could say that about just about any player. But I, I do think he's a player with real talent. He had a bit of a cult image about him. Um, but obviously, Brendan Rodgers did not like the cut of his jib. And away he went. Still only 24. Same age as uh, Mikey Johnston, as it happens. He's played eight times now for Stokes scoring one goal and getting two assists. Um, played 80 minutes against Middlesbrough. Um, just the other day there so he looks as though he and he got an assist as well so he looks as though he, at least he's getting the game time um, but you're right about O um, there was a thing just last week there and I didn't give you credit for it uh, Ian the last time you were on you wrote an excellent blog actually uh, check it on axom.net and it was about this kind of like persona around 
Brandon Rogers and, and Rogers is back. And I remember uh, writing something not dissimilar to it um, just at the end of, of his tenure at Celtic. And I was looking at some of the decisions that were, were being made at the time um, or, or during his first time at Celtic, you know, taking his, his son on tour and giving him a game in the hoops and all that stuff. It was just bonkers. But at that point, he could do just to do anything he wanted, could our Brendan. Um, but then, obviously, in terms of the, the Celtic fan base, his stock plummeted uh, due to the uh, circumstances surrounding his departure. But I thought you, you tapped into it brilliantly when you were speaking about uh, that documentary kind of series that were following him about. And you felt with hindsight, it painted him in the wrong way, didn't it? I mean, this is a guy who's come up through working-class roots and he tries to embrace that. And it was just the way it was filmed, maybe the way it was edited and put across, um, it was almost like a David Brent-style image that was put across in that that documentary, wasn't it? It was, yeah. I remember watching it. I was over here the first time I lived here. And um, I was all great because I've, I've got Liverpool leanings as well. I was, a, I was a Celtic fan, you know, but I like to see Liverpool do well because of, of Kenny and things. Uh, used to live in Liverpool. Um, I think what my take on it was it was, and it was through through hindsight. I had this memory of him um, through that documentary. You know, when you have that, they call it the Mandela effect, don't you? It's like a false memory. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was through that prism, and that, when I was writing that piece, I rewatched it, um, and it kind of it, it, it really did. And it seemed like he was. I wrote, I wrote in the piece, it's like he's practising in front of the mirror to try and come out with these Shankly-esque kind of, you know, um, statements and, and, and quotes. I think it was a little bit of naivety, you know. I mean, they'd obviously pre, pre-agreed this 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 uh, documentary before he got the job. So imagine that, you know, it's like social media is starting to ramp up. So he's gone in, decent manager, you know, and it's like he's gone to this big club. And he's, I think he, was, he, wasn't, he wasn't being himself, you know, I think. I probably would have been the same, you know. Um, but then what we watching it, a lot of the things he was saying was was right on. It really was right on and, and he was aligning himself. Um I think it was just perhaps it just came across slightly slightly um, missing the point. But it was it was yeah, when he the, the famous one about him running through the streets with the mince, smelling the mince, you know, and it was like that was just really stick to it that everyone or a baguette that everyone hit him over the head with. What he was, he was he was identifying with you know, that's that's his that's his background as well, you know. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. it was it was it was the echoes of his of his childhood. Um and it was just once that once that kind of shtick and that, that kind of that persona was was associated with him, it was hard to shake off. Mm-hmm. I think he's done he did that last time he was at Celtic, he's gone away and he's come back now and he, he is the grown up in the room. I love him. I really love him and it's like and if if you if anyone gets a chance to rewatch that, it's called uh, being Liverpool, I think. Um Get, watch it again, yeah, and have a look, yeah, because he's, he's a lot of it's about respect. It's all about about decency and the way he interacts with with every member of staff. Mm-hmm. You know, apparently Alex Ferguson did the same thing at Man United. You know, he would go and have cups of tea with it, with it, with the with the laundry ladies and things like that, and he knew everybody. I think Brendan's like that as well. He's trying to get a real family ethos around the club, um, but everyone knows he's in charge. That's fantastic to hear that. Um, and I might have mentioned that I was with Martin O'Neill at the weekend. Sorry, you can hit that gong now. He's been mentioned now 36 minutes in. Um, but he spoke about it as well, and He spoke about behind the scenes, the, the importance of the fabric of the club, of guys that know what the club's all about. And he didn't just mean people like John Clark and Danny McGrain, people who have been at the club for a long time, and, and obviously during Martin's time, Tommy Burns, um, as well, people that, that knew it inside out and then they could then spread that uh, tradition and the culture 
of the football club to anybody else who then comes into the inner sanctum of it. But he was talking about the tea ladies and, and those that worked in the laundry room and that, you know, that whole essence of uh, everybody pulling in the same direction, every single person's uh, part in that process being important. doesn't matter if you're playing centre forward um, or if you're washing the kit, you're part and parcel of what they're trying to achieve. And that's where there's a culture because the culture isn't just the culture in a, in a boardroom and in a dressing room and everything. It's within the club. You need to have the, the same culture and everybody pulling in that same direction. I think... We've seen a different side to Brendan Liam. And I was watching this morning, actually, uh, the Celtic podcast with Big Bems. Uh, they were talking about, believe it or not, they were talking about the free kick that went under Jerry's body at St. Rock's in the St. <laughs> on the official, on the official podcast, oh, um, which was which was phenomenal. It was phenomenal to watch. Um, and Jerry got a kind of shout out because he says, we're going to have to bring Jerry in to uh, give us his side of the story. But the big story, obviously, that day, of course, was Brendan Rodgers turning up at that game. Mm. And I know I banged on about it for about a week afterwards. But looking back now, it's still an astonishing thing that he did that day. And mm. and apparently, we never knew at the time, of course, he, he's left he, he's left the airport and come straight to James McGrory Park in Glasgow. He's left after spending loads of time with the fans, you know, in the wee clubhouse and all that. He's then left that stadium, that park, and he's gone for uh, something to eat with Lila Bada because he wanted to make sure he was okay. And you just think to yourself, um, recently, uh, I don't know if you, you got round to watching that Lee Griffiths interview that he gave mm. to the Australian podcast. It's a proper sit-down interview. And Lee Griffiths opened up about some of the troubles he had had uh, during the time of Brendan Rogers. And Rogers has never come out and said, I've done this and I've done that. But, but Griffiths spoke about it. And he spoke about the fact that, that Rogers was an incredible support. And at one point, go and watch it. I'd recommend you go and watch it. Uh, Liam Griff- uh, Lee Griffiths is in hospital. And one of the first guys that's there is Brendan Rodgers to sort things out and make sure everything's okay for him. And I think what we're seeing now, Liam, is, is much more of that. The, the side of him where he can tap into not just the psyche, the support, but the individual players as well at his disposal. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I mean, I, I've also seen that Liverpool documentary that Ian was talking about. And... Um, I, David Brent is quite quite apt uh, quite an apt way to put it, but um, I think that the, the, a lot of that was performative. A lot of that was sort of a guy blinded by the headlights of fame and fortune. Um, you know, Rogers was significantly younger and less mature as a manager then. I would argue he was there was still a certain immaturity the first time he came to Celtic. Um, you know, I notice now he's not doing as much sort of a speaking about how how much he loved Celtic as a wee boy and whatever. You know, he, he knows that, quite frankly, fans aren't buying that anymore. They want results. And he's just quietly going about his business. Things like the St. Rocks game, which was completely unannounced. Things like the Leela Bada dinner, which I'm sure he probably didn't want the media to know about. But I'm guessing somebody on Leela Bada's side probably let that story out just to say, look, you know, Celtic are doing their bit here. Um to, to look after their Israeli player. And, you know, I think that it's, yeah, Brendan Rogers, when he came back the second time, you know, and I I fully admit to saying this and being proved wrong, I had no issue with Brendan Rogers, the manager. I had issues with Brendan Rogers, the person, after what he'd done the first time around in terms of how he left. But, but you know, the, 
the, the, one of the things which social media has unfortunately dulled in a lot of us these days is the ability to change your opinion based on fresh evidence. Yep. And I am willing to say I was wrong about Brendan Rogers. He is a far better human being than I gave him credit for. And his recent actions are, are showing that. And he's showing a maturity um, as, a, as a man and as a manager that will only benefit Celtic as we move forward. Imagine being able to change your mind because the situation and evidence presented in front of you has also <laughs> changed. Deary me. I mean, isn't that what VAR was supposed to be for? <laughs> meant to be. Meant to be. Uh, Big Bems was talking about VAR at the Jimmy McGrory Stadium. Um, but yeah, it's fantastic. And I think we've probably not heard the last of that. But, you know, in terms of the, the, the comments coming through um, around the transfer window, I think some brilliant comments are pointing out to the fact that this is not a new thing and that Brennan Rogers wanted the, the quality over the quantity last time round. So we'll bring in Paul Byrne. Rogers told him this before the summer and we all knew it. I wonder how many deals were set up before Rogers came and they couldn't do anything about it. Well, yeah, you've got to take that into account, Lawrence, because I think even Marco Tilio, didn't he? He spoke about the fact that, you know, Celtic had shown an interest um, up to two years before the deal was done. There are going to be legacy signings, signings that are in the works, players that have been recruited and scouted long before Brennan comes in. And some of these guys, I'm not saying all of them, it was, I think, easier to identify Angie's players, you know, the, the ones he identified. But some of these players are definitely not being identified by Brendan. But Brendan made the point that he has a final say. And he made that point in his first press conference once. Listen, I'd be surprised if, if Brendan identified as the initial guy that identifies any of the players that come in. You know, we've got a scout department to do that work for him. Brendan's a, a pretty busy guy, you know, and... He, the scouting department, as far as I'm aware, is looking constantly, you know, for every position, for a player that fits our model. You know, Brendan might say to him, listen, here's three positions that I want you to put as priority. But I don't think Brendan's going out and saying, right, this player I really want. Or I think it'd be highly unusual for any manager to say that. You know, I think most of the guys on our radar will have been identified by the scouting department and we'll be keeping tabs on them. And they're either identified, you know, through their agents or just through the scouts going to games and being, being aware of what's going on. So, yeah, Brendan will have the final say. But, you know, some of the players that have come in, like Marco Tilio, come in injured. You know, He's not a, not a chance at all. You can't really judge him, can you? No. So, no, you can't judge him yet. I mean, the thing is, Lawrence, I think the point I was making is first time round, you would say Scott Sinclair was a Brendan Rodgers sign. You would say Turi was a Brendan Rodgers. And when Ange Postecoglou comes in, He's identifying players from the market Liam knows a lot about. So there are occasions where the manager identifies a player, presents them to the... So, you know, there's an other way of doing it, where he's presenting it to the recruitment team and, and then they start to do business that way. Yeah. Under Andrew, it's kind of obvious that... Uh, and Doris De Vries, don't forget Doris. And Doris, oh, you forget uh, him, the second worst goalkeeper. But, yeah... You know, Better off with Doris Day. Anyway. <laughs> you know, Ange identified the best players in the Japanese league and said, look, these are the best players. You know, bring them over. But, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, the, I think the, the whole the scouting department's done a fairly decent job uh, over the last four or five years. You know, some of the players that have come in in the summer have been incredibly unlucky with injury. You know, yeah. and they've not really got to, fe- to, to feature. You know, so, you know, judge it at the end of the season. Once I've had a, had a run of games, 
I wouldn't kind of be rushing to judge them all as right-offs yet. You know, we had players that come in have had absolute howlers that have come in this summer. You know, not so far. Have a lot of them struggled to make an impact? Yeah. But, you know, they've not had the minutes. You know, you, you don't want to judge somebody in kind of 20, 30 minutes of football, even 100 minutes. You, you, they need to get a run of games. Mm-hmm. You know, they need to get a bit of experience. It's a bit like you're saying, you know, the boys coming through the ranks. We wanted them to have, by the time they're 21. Got to build them up. Yeah. They need a number of games before we can make a decision whether or not they're going to make it. And it's the same it's the same for our signings, isn't it? Uh, hopefully the league's done early, you know, and we can start giving people a run out. You know, you know I think... talking, about, talking about goalies, Lauren, sorry to interject here because you were talking about Doris DeVries. Um, who was it we spoke to recently? <laughs> I'm sure you were there. And we asked them who the best goalie was in their time at Celtic. And their answer was Brottle. Brottle who was that? Yeah. Somebody oh, recently. I'm trying to think of what player was, was it Tomo? Was it Alan Thompson? Yeah, Tomo. Thomas is brought Tomo, yeah. right. Aye, so we were asking who was the best goalkeeper at the club, <coughs> etc. Because every time you talk to these guys from that era, they always... Some people give uh, big Rab a hard time. I would never give Rab Douglas a hard time. because Rab Douglas a hard time. He would, he would just give you that backhander and that would be you done. But um, Broto was the guy, or was it Jackie? No, you know what? I think it was Jackie McNamara once. Anyway, one of, one of the, the guys for Seville, Ian, was asked the question, who was the best goalkeeper you played at, at Celtic? It was the second half of the night, Q&A from the, from the audience. And his, his response was Broto. And I always find that quite an unusual one because he didn't play many games for Celtic. But the reason I bring him up, right, is because we were really struggling to find a goalie for the Celtic select team up at James McGrory Park. And I asked a number of keepers, I asked uh, Jonathan Gould, <laughs> and I, uh, by the way, Martin O'Neill ripped him to shreds the other night, in a good way, in a nice way. Uh, Jonathan Gould, I asked Rab Douglas, but Rab still registered as a player, believe it or not. Scott Fox came in, he played brilliantly. He, he was playing senior up until last season. But I got um, a, a knockback by Doris De Vries because he said he had played in the Masters and his body's telling him he is no longer a footballer. <laughs> Right. So he said, thank you, but I just can't do it anymore, right? And then oh. I just got yesterday, it must have been a delayed response, obviously. I got a message back from Broto. I asked Broto if he could play. He just said, oh, listen, um, I'm in Spain, so it would be really hard, but stay in touch and hopefully we can do something in the future. So I'm, I'm thinking about bringing him on the show one of these days, one of these mm. bulletins, and having a wee chat with him, have a wee chat about his career and why it didn't happen uh, for him at Celtic Park, really. He only had a few games, didn't he? But I tell you, his teammates really, really rated him. And it's interesting how a player becomes a cult player uh, over time as well, Ian. It's like some of these guys that don't play. They're great when they're not playing. Yeah. How many games did he play? Was it two or three or something? It wasn't many, was it? wasn't a great deal. I'd need to check that. But again, Mandela memory, it's potentially more than we think. I don't think yeah. he played a great deal of games. He yeah, spoke he, out about against Anil, though, and said he should be in the team. And I think yeah, as soon as he went to the press and said I should be in the team, then he went, nah. Nah, not for me. Not for me, Mucker. Um, but yeah, it is interesting how you know, you're warm to certain players and it's not always because of their ability. It's because of their attitude or, or their but approach that, to that, life. That's the thing. You know, it's like you get... It's same in, in my work. You know, it's like I'd rather have, I'd rather have someone with the right attitude. You can't, you can't teach attitude. But you can teach people things, you know. You can people can attain knowledge, you know, as, as you go along. But you can't, you can't have the right attitude to, to absorb that and to want to take things on board. You can't teach that. That's 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 innate. And um, 
So I think that, and it's again as fans of any club, I think you know if you see someone trying, look at Ralston, you know, you forgive, you forgive mistakes or you forgive it, you forgive pretty much any. If, if someone's trying the hardest and it's with, you know, it's with, with honest endeavour, you can't say you can't say further than that, you know. No, you're right, and I'm going to go back to you, Liam. At the point you made about then being presented with a new set of evidence, right? I thought about Ralston when he came into the side. Remember that Neymar thing? Now, by the way, I'm no fan of Neymar. I'm no fan of Neymar, right? But the picture, I just didn't think it did the lads any favours because there was that cockiness and, and that kind of self-assuredness, which at that age against that calibre of opposition, you're thinking you've got to be more respectful. And I know it was Neymar, right? But then in time, because of the hard-working nature, the way that... You know, he got through a, a, an extremely tough period of probably 18 months of not playing football for Celtic to come back, and then he was almost a joke figure until they proved everybody wrong under Ange Postecoglou. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I think, you know, there's nothing wrong with changing your mind on players. But in terms of the Mikey Johnston thing, because that's what got us onto that subject, I'm not seeing enough endeavour or talent, actually. People keep telling me about the talent, but there's training pitch players, you know, Chris Sutton said that, and I'm no name the player. He said he was the best player at training. Put him on, a, mm. on the pitch for a game, and he couldn't do it. So I think that's where we are with guys like Mikey Johnson. And if we get an opportunity in the summer, in the, the winter rather, the transfer window, to bring in someone who's going to use the old cliche, hit the ground running, make that instant impact, it wouldn't even be a loan I was looking for. I, I would let the boy leave the club and play football elsewhere. Yeah, with the greatest of respect to him, um, I do think that that's the best for all parties at this point. Um, he came on at the weekend out of necessity, not because, you know, not because he'd done anything outstanding to merit that. Now, in fairness, I thought he, I thought he did. He didn't have a, a game any worse than Maeda did before he replaced him. You know, the the whole team was. It's very easy to pick out individuals that you don't, whatever for whatever reason you don't like, when the entire team is misfiring, which they were at the weekend. Um, and I'm not going to, I'm not going to criticise Johnson specifically for that game, but I am going to say that just overall, like you say, the quality just isn't. It just doesn't appear to be there, unfortunately. And we've given him time. We've been patient. We've tried loaning him out. He's doing well for Ireland, but as I said, unfortunately, the way Ireland are at the moment, that is a that is a that's a grade below what Celtic need. So mm-hmm. he will go on to have a very successful career. And probably, you know, become a, a fan favourite at a certain level. But I think it's a level below Celtic, unfortunately. Now, on the subject of goalkeepers, here's one to throw out to everybody. See if anybody can get the answer before the end of the show. Who's the former Celtic goalkeeper who won an, who won an Olympic gold medal but played less than 10 games for the club? Mm. Right. What year are we talking um, right, well, we're talking Martin O'Neill era, I believe. Right, I've got a, a player in mind. I'm not going to not gonna say it. We'll let people yeah. make the comment. So, yeah. refresh your memories. It's a Celtic goalkeeper who played less than 10 games, but he yeah. won an Olympic gold medal. Mm. He also holds the caps, the, 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 the all-time caps record for one of the three countries that he played for. My word. Oh, no, Karim. Dimitri Karin. <laughs> he got it. Yes. He got it. Yep. In yep. one. <laughs> yep. There you go. A gold medal 8-8 with the Soviet team. Um, he played 
all 12 games that the CIS played as a team before they, they broke up after Scotland gubbed them. So yeah. he's their all-time cap record holder. He's the only player that played all 12 games for them. Um, and I think he only played seven or eight games for Celtic. So there you go. That's, and of course, later on, he played for Russia as well. So That's a fantastic yeah. stat. Just again, going back to uh, the insight that you get by talking to ex-players and managers. Um, on his first day at Celtic, um, Martin O'Neill was faced with all the players and they were all getting prepared to do a bleep test. I don't know if you guys have ever had the experience, in inverted commas, of doing a bleep test before. That's where you start feeling the blood coming up on your throat and all that kind of stuff. It's horrendous. It's horrific. And he thought Stuart Kerr, the goalkeeper, was a member of staff because he was out of shape so badly. Oh, no. He thought, there's no way this guy's a professional footballer. Um, sorry if you're listening, Stuart. Right, here we go. Kevin Mullen, afternoon Axom. Definitely need to bring in another striker. If something happens to Kyogo, we are in baller. Lawrence will go back to Boxing Day when Joey Dawson played against St. Johnson. Plus, just need quality and get some fringe players out. It's, for me, non-contributing players. That's what it is. It's non-contributing players that you need to look at. But weren't we quite far down the line trying to get the boy, uh, Matthias, was it Kvitzgarden, the Bronby striker? Remember, 21-year-old Danish boy. And I think there was a three and a half million pound bid. I reckon that's the boy we were trying to get in before the window shut. Will we go back in for him? Because they weren't prepared to take the offer at the time. Um, Double Denham. I think we've got a pretty solid first 11, I'd agree with that, but I do think we need to condense our squad size and bring in impact players who can change the game if required. Turnbull, Mickey Johnson and O, not looking up to it currently. Um, but it would not surprise me if a couple of the guys end up getting a start tomorrow night. Mickey boy, good afternoon, Axom and troops. Hope everyone is well. Brennan Rogers now saying what the fans have been saying for months. Less projects, more first team ready, quality players in, please, over to the board. And I think going back to the change, maybe, Ian, in uh, Brennan Rogers' approach, particularly with the media, um, even if he was unhappy, he's not going to say it, is he? No. No. Um, I don't know what the relationship's like now since he, since he left and came back, but he, he was... He was um, Courted by Mr. Desmond, wasn't he? If all, if we're to believe the, 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 the so uh, to, to believe the, the press, so I would have thought that would be more power to him to come back in, you know, to, to you know, to, for him to agree to come back. But it seemed like it was it was kind of the opposite. Like it, like um, Desmond had sort of pictures of him in compromising position or something, you know. It was it was weird. It kind of he just kind of was it was it was really under the radar. Um, but now he seems to be like sort of asserting his uh, authority. A bit more now, he's, he's, and I think it's it's yeah, it's it's not scattered at all. It's very it's very very um, um, pertinent points he makes at, at, at certain times. Um, I was just think, thinking before as well, you know, when when was it? When, when can we say pre money ball was? Because you look at the, the guys you're going to be speaking to tonight, like um, Big Pierre and uh, Cadetti, Tom. Obviously, you're not seeing tonight, but like these guys, they were like. Players that were being sought after in, in, in England as well, or other yeah. leagues, but we managed to get them. Mm-hmm. Obviously, there's a massive golf since since those days, but you know that was pre Moneyball, and we went out and we got ready-made players. They came in and they became cult heroes. They became heroes, instant heroes, because they had class and the quality that we needed at the time. You know, we didn't have as much money as the as the guys across the the the, the city were borrowing, um, but you know we didn't have a, an overdraft facility like they did. But you know. Um, 
it's uh, you know the the, the the players we signed were were head and shoulders above a lot of these money ball players we've been signing. You know, and I'd love to see a return to that. And I think Brendan Rodgers has has hinted that that's what he'd like to do as well. You know, and it's like it's that it's those real get the players out, get get the dead wood. And I hate to talk about people as commodities, you know, but I suppose they are to a football club. And um, yeah, get get these fringe players out and get the real quality in and have that competition for places and get get out on loan like we did with Ayer. Perhaps you know, and sign sign a, a, a more experienced and, and, and tried and trusted striker. Get away out for a season in, in, into the Scottish Premier League, um, and, and, and see getting back a year, twelve months down the line, and see if he actually is well cut the mustard after playing first team football and doing a bit of damage to our rivals as well in the, in the, in the process. I like the idea of that. We were talking yesterday about the the dual ownership and the fact that the rules are going to be relaxed potentially by the SFA. So uh, this agreement, that this arrangement that Celtic have with Admira Wacker and have previously had with Ujbez Dosha, um, it's something that could be stapled in and we could actually send more players more frequently uh, to a kind of nursery club so that they can get the game time and then come back, which there's a few questions it raises. It, que- it raises a question of why we can't have a, a platform within our own game that gives players game time, i.e. a reserve league, but it's clearly not going to happen. Just before we wrap it up, you're right about the players you mentioned there. Um, Simon Donald was telling me the other day, and I've not checked it yet, so I'll fact check it, but he was telling me that uh, Andy Tom had appeared somewhere in a Ballon d'Or list. He never won it, but he was in a, you know, what's the long or the short list? I'm not sure how many players are on it, but uh, Andy Tom had appeared on that prior to signing for Celtic. Um, Van Hooydonk, when he signed, there was interest from a number of uh, English clubs, including uh, Newcastle United. I think when you sign De Canio, he's played for Lazio, Juventus, and um, who's the other ones? Oh, aye, AC Milan. So, I mean, the calibre was there uh, with these players. George Cadet, of course, you'll remember him scoring the two goals against Celtic for Bobby Robson's sport in Lisbon. Um, in the game that uh, it was 2-1 over the two legs, we'd won the first leg under the one and only Frank Connor. Uh, winning the game at Celtic Park to a goal from Jerry Craney. But at that point, there was a £2 million clause in uh, Cadet's contract, which was a big fee at the time, um, to, to buy that player. And a couple of years later, I mean, he's at Celtic for four hundred grand apparently, um, which George claims he, he paid himself, which was his beef with Fergus. Can't wait to ask him all this tonight. Um, before we go, a wee message uh, to Gav at the Celtic World podcast we had a, a little what you would may, maybe describe as a coming together the other day on this particular show last when was it now maybe last friday um whereby comments uh were being given back and forth in, in amongst the audience in amongst the comments and just to let you understand on our 60 minute show we can get up to a thousand comments in there it's a scroll bar uh, on the right hand side of my screen uh some people think i pick out people that I know, and there's favouritism, it's not that at all. I'm just scrolling down. If there's something that's relevant or catches my eye, I'll bring it up, be that uh, good, bad or indifferent. And on that occasion, there was what looked to me uh, like a critical comment, which I brought up and responded to. Now, my response is based on experience of being um, at the helm of a Celtic state of mind now for six and a half years. And at that time, trying my absolute utmost um, to feed into the Celtic uh, media community to such a degree that we've had so many different platforms on Axon, um, and we've tried to obviously help new guys coming in. I'll be on a show uh, in the next couple of weeks as well. That's always been the way that I've dealt with it. 
But the flip side of that is we've had a lot of real issues with some platforms out there. I'm not going to bore you with the details, but it was pretty serious for a while. And so I responded with that in mind. I apologise because Gav and I have spoken about it and he tells me that was not his intention. So sorry to Gav for um, basically going in studs up because that's what happened uh, on Friday. So there you go. And yes, we will be ordering a new light for Wee James over in Ireland because he was looking like the uh, the Shamrock Shadow um, last Friday afternoon. So thank you, everybody, for getting involved. If you're going to be coming along to Don Match tonight, please come along and say hello. It's going to be very, very... Here we go, look at this. Just as I'm throwing it out there, someone's checking it out online. Um, Andy Tom appeared on the 1985 Ballon d'Or list, rank 29. Brilliant. I love that kind of stuff. And he was a tremendous player. Unfortunately, he cannot make it. Um, if he could, he'd be there. It's something that obviously I won't discuss, but he can't make it over. The other two guys uh, from Lisbon and Amsterdam are in Glasgow as we speak. I'm away to go and interview them right now. And we're going to record that, get it all edited and put it on the channel for anybody out there who can't come to the gig. So please keep an eye on that over the next week or so. Thank you, everybody, for getting involved. Thank you to Ian, Liam and Lawrence for joining me on a Celtic State of Mind. Podcast Network.